Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. We're in Matot uh, Masei. Uh, so this is a, a double tour portion, which is really not the most convenient because it also happens to be new moon. So we're going to shove two tour portions and a new moon all jammed the next hour, hour and 45 minutes. All right. So um, I'm going to, yeah, my, yeah, my yeah, si- speed, yeah, sixth gear as I go fast. Uh, so uh, not really. Look at that fast. So uh, numbers. This is we're gonna we're gonna uh, this ends the book of numbers. The numbers chapter thirty and it goes through thirty six. Hazak Hazak, Benish Hazak. That's uh, the customary to end the book of numbers. We're in my little spiel about this topic. Do any have any questions, comments, or opinions about this that I can talk to or deal with now as opposed to later? No. All right, then. Those of you who are unaware of or deal with, there is the difference in your Torah portion. We covered out, we started out in, in Matot regarding uh, vows and oaths. Those are not the same thing. So, vow in, in English, we have the word vow, which is Hebrew, it's the, it's the term nadar, versus shabbat, which is the oath word in, in, in our Torah portions. Nadar and vow are a little bit inaccurate as far as because we don't have an English word that matches nadar. We don't have a word that does that. So it has been translated to vow to most of your texts, which is fine. It's close. It's not quite accurate, but it's close uh, to what it's. Uh, our vows are more broad. Nadar is more narrow as far as a specific type of thing, which you can and cannot do in a Nadar versus like an oath, for example, is a different category, Shabbat, a different category. Uh, so it is a uh, prohibition and such. So in Nadars and, and Shabbat are different. So for example, uh, Nadar, which is the, the two different categories between Nadar, the vows. This is the first few verses here uh, discussing the, the topic in chapter, uh, th- uh, chapter 30. There, there's the Nadar of prohibit and Nadar of obligate. So you can prohibit yourself from something or a permitted thing. So, uh, for example, a Nadar of a vow of prohibition, you can say, uh, uh, actually, the example, uh, I forbid myself from eating an apple. Is now a forbidden food. Now it's a permitted food normally, but I have made a vow, a dadar, to prohibit myself from doing something or from eating something. In this case, is a pretty help from eating an apple because it's not about me eating it. It's about I have elevated the apple, the object, from a common to a sacred or separate thing. And mind you, these are all regarding God. So because I chose these apple, what apples? I have box apples or individual apple, whatever it is. I have selected that a dadar says this apple will be. Um, uh, uh, will be will be designated for 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 as if it was holy, as if it was as a holy object. So, and just an example of an apple. There, obviously, in in the Torah, we have examples of of, of animals being classified as vows in Nadar, Nadar prohibitions. Now, there's also a an Nadar a vow of obligate. So, I and using my example of Nadar of obligate is saying, I I, I prove myself eating this apple, and this apple. Is going to be donated to a particular food bank or a box of apples or an orchard, or the, the produce. Now I've made, a, I've made an obligation of a donation of this object, this particular object. I'm donated to a particular food bank. Now it's not that you have to donate to a food bank. You could choose anyone you want or randomly, but I've made a, an open declaration. I am donating this object to this purpose at this place, this, this charity. I'm using these examples, of course. Both those are Nadar's, which we translate as vows. Um, in English, we confuse the term vow and oath as being very as, as being uh, interchangeable. One Hebrew, a dadar and shabbat are not interchangeable. So, uh, a, 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 an oath, for example, example for an oath would be um, now since I'm using apple as example, it's a good you know work with, work with here. Um, I have sworn to eat an apple. Now, I prohibited myself from this apple, at least this particular box of apples. I elevated up to God. That's the nadar I gave, a prohibition of the, of, of the apple. I also, however, specified that I'm donating this apple, these apple box, whatever it is, 
to a particular food bank. So I've done two vows. I prohibited it from myself as well as obligated it, the object to a particular food bank. Those are two separate, separate things I've done. And then now to the third one, an oath, I've sworn to eat an apple. So the third item, I can, it doesn't change the status of the previous two. It doesn't change the fact that I've, I've sworn myself from eating this, this, these box of apples. I won't eat them. And it doesn't change the fact that these apples are dead for a certain food bank. So if I sworn to eat an apple, I must eat an apple from a different box or some other container that's not part of the, 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 the prohibition, the Nadar. So the oath does not change the status of the previously designated Nadars. So the oath is, is, is its own type of thing. So you've sworn to do something, whatever it happens to be. Um, these are all optional things. There's no law that says I can or can't eat an apple. No Torah prohibition about eating them or not eating them. It's nothing to do with These are all optional. Hence, vows as vows and oaths are optional. But you're obligated to them. So you note that if you are a male, that points out, that's assuming, of course, you're an adult male, not, not a child. You're an adult male. You're, you're of age, which means 20 years or older. And you've made a Nadar or, or a Shiba, a, 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 a Nadar of a vow or, 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 or prohibition or something like that, or a, a Nadar of swearing to do something or not doing something, uh, of optional. If you're a male, you are required to, if you violate them, it is no different than violating a law written in the Torah. That's how vows work. That's how Nadars and Shabbos work. Violation comes with consequences, comes with punishments because you violated it. It's no different saying, uh, because I, 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 I've designated this, this particular apple to the God, I'm going to donate to you know, uh, some upcoming event, whatever it is, some, some event for God. I designate the apple and I say, I'm going to eat the apple now and choose to eat it instead. I'm enjoying this apple and all this great stuff, though I already obligated it to something else. It's no different than me taking, for example, some holy object. Let's say I took the, the priest's food and grabbed it and started eating it on myself. Well, the priest, this was a holy piece that was about the priest to have. And then you have chosen to take it from them to eat it yourself. You now violated, a, you made something that was holy, making it common. And that, of course, comes with consequences. In some instances, if it's, if it's specific types of like a sin offering, you're dead. So there are certain things you can't violate. So when you've made an, a nadar, you must stick with the nadar. It doesn't change it. And you, you, in your life or your family's life, if there are young children with you, they are obligated to follow through. In the case, uh, if you have a male, if you're a female, there are certain outs. Number one, you're still in your father's house. You may be 20 years older, but you're still living in your dad's house. So you're not married yet. And for whatever reason, it doesn't make a difference. And you make an oath or a nadar or a sheba. And he, sa- he hears about it. Wait a minute. No, that comes with consequences. You're, I'm not going to let you do that. that that's, that's going beyond what I say is acceptable in this household. Then she is not obligated to follow through. And then therefore, she can eat it. Like say, for example, using my apple analogy, uh, let's say she uh, harvests a box of apples out of the, off the apple tree, uh, the apple orchard, if there's a family-owned orchard, whatever. And she's, this box of apples that I collected, I'm uh, forbidding myself from eating an apple out of this box. And uh, so I won't eat it. And the father hears, no, uh, that's the box that I designated for our family. So that's the most you're going to get. The rest of we already have something else for selling them. So you chose the wrong box. So you don't get that option. I'm overruling it. So it, 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 it's the idea of, of you made an oath uh, uh, that was or, sorry, a prohibition that an Adar that you shouldn't have. You don't have the authority to do so. So you can overrule it. Um, same thing with she, if she chooses to donate the box of apples to the food bank, says, no, that's why I'm not doing that. I, I'm doing, I have another plan for that food box. You can choose the one over there instead, but not this box here. I want that variety, Grady Smith versus Fuji, whatever. Uh, different things you can do. And she may have chosen the wrong ones. No, you can't do that. Sorry, I'm overruling that. If, however, he hears about it and lets it go, and then later on says, yeah, you know what? I switched to that one over there. I want to switch boxes. The fault isn't hers. The fault is now his. So he is subject to the consequence of a holy thing being eaten. He wasn't allowed to eat it um, because he's changed his mind. So it's other than him breaking his own vow. And of course, comes any consequences that come with that. Uh, oaths work the same way. Uh, if she swears to, to, to eat something or prohibit something that's perfectly acceptable and he doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, overrule it, it stands. If he chooses to overrule it later, he's guilty of it. Same thing with her husband. Um, now we look at that in our modern day world. So, well, that's sexist. <laughs> yeah, we can think that, but it's incorrect. So 
uh, if we if we lived our life in our current modern day viewpoint and looked back in history and applied it to that, that would be an unfair assessment. Note, uh, these are circumstances which we, which you can get out of a vow or an oath. Not everybody gets out of vows or oaths. Not everybody has the option. Now, in the Rabbi Akiva, uh, not quite two thousand years ago. He reinterpreted the vow obligation rules for us how to get out of it. And so he reinterpreted it and said, if a male gives a vow, like a nadar or an oath, and a court overrules him, a court of three or more people overrule him, who are familiar with, with, with the laws of God, overrule him, then he is no longer obligated. So what he did is he said, well, we're going to treat males the same we do females, saying we're going to give the court some kind of a court system the ability to overrule a vow or an oath of some form. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, just saying that's what he did. And so modern day Judaism has that rule applied, and they apply it extraordinarily liberally. So, for example, in the in the, in, in the time we discussed this topic, they gave the example of, okay, so let's pretend you made a vow. Let's go back to my apple example. All right. I designated uh, that I'm 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 a male. I designated this particular apple, uh, or box apples. We should box apples. It's convenient that way. This box of apples. Uh, I'm not going to eat, and it's designated for a charity. And I didn't donate that particular charity. Let's say I chose a different one. I I I, I reneged on my original agreement. The court can say, okay, well, you reneged it. So normally you'd be punished. To, they say forty lashes if you punish if you if you make that mistake. So 40 lashes. Is it well, we don't have to do the 40 lashes. The court said, well, did you know that there was a problem in your original vow? Like say, for example, the charity you chose, I'm making this making this up, okay? The the local food bank, that particular one, enter the name, whatever you want. The food bank. I chose that particular one originally. And then I swapped from that one to a uh, feed some other group of people over here instead. So, well, did you know? That there was something wrong with that one or wrong with this one? Did you have any prior knowledge of, the, of an error after you made the vow that you didn't realize till after you after which you made a choice? Like if whatever the case would be. And if you had anything that you didn't understand, anything you may have misunderstood or possibly could have miscon- misconceived an idea about your original vow, then they say, well, it's null and void, you're not obligated to no lashes required. It's, it's a very liberal application of a law. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, just saying what it is. So they have a lot of ways of getting out of particular vows. Uh, I believe the most famous one was Rabbi Akiva's wife, or Cockpit. It's just with a, it's just with a B, but I forgot, I forgot what it was. Anyway, uh, so his father in law, so the story goes, his father in law was upset with Akiva because Akiva, Akiva was a worthless um, sheep. Poor sheep man, a sheep, a sheep shepherd. He didn't have anything, no money to his name, was poor and incompetent, right? Not worth anything. He advised his daughter, don't marry that man. He's not worth anything. He can't provide for you, can't do anything. You'll be doing all the work. You'll be working to survive and he'll be just goofing off and you're know, living, taking care of sheep and not actually making any money at it. And so, he, and she said, Well, I love him, dad. And that's right. I love him. I love him. He's so pretty. Or she's so pretty, whoever. <laughs> so she goes after him. Yeah. Like, let's say last week, right? I have no, no, no love in my heart. No, 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 no compassion. <laughs> So, uh, romantic, no, no, that, no romantic bone. So she's, I love him, dad. And he said, well, if you marry him, I will not give you any inheritance, nothing at all from my household. I will not, go, not, not bless you or your family because it's a dumb idea. Don't do that. Bad, bad, bad. Don't, you, don't choose that guy. He's, he's bad for you. And she says, well, I'm running off. I'm going to marry him. She marries him. They live in a shack. And then Rabbi Kiva, of course, says, you know what? I'm tired of living in a shack. This is years go by. She, he, the father had made, a, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. You will not, I won't speak to you. You're dead to me. You don't even exist because you, you disobeyed me. As years go by, Akiva says, wow, I work really hard, not getting anywhere. I really wish I could study the Torah. And so his wife said, well, uh, you can. This famous rabbi, he's like 90 miles away. You can move there and live there. And I'll stay here taking care of the sheep and, and trying to survive and make, make ends meet and such. And so she tries to, he says, great, honey, it's all you. You take care of all the stuff, do all the work. Uh, just send me money periodically so I can keep eating. And I'm going to go over and go to this guy for 20 years. And so it's 20 years span by. He comes, he comes back, he hasn't seen for 20 years. And he overhears a story of, oh, she's, 
She's you know sad. He's gone. Blah blah. But it, it, a whole bunch of time goes by. Eventually comes back. So his father-in-law comes, not realizing who Akiva is at this point, comes to him because it, it's been twenty years, right? Almost yeah, it's been three years. It doesn't recognize him. So, it, but by this point, Akiva is a really important person, really knowledgeable, knows not stuff about Torah, yada yada yada. Great wise man. Uh, anyhow, so the father, father, the father-in-law who doesn't recognize Akiva at all. But he knows about him, but doesn't recognize him. He knows who his, father, who his son-in-law was, but he doesn't remember him that well because he hasn't seen him for a long time. Uh, he says, um, I got this problem, Akiva. I don't know how to solve. See, I made a vow regarding this. My daughter will not receive anything from me, but I didn't realize that eventually her husband will make something of himself and not be a bum. And so he turned out to be a good Torah scholar, but, but I can't go back on my vow. Akiva said, well... Let's now keep, of course, knowing who his father in law was. It's kind of a biased you know, judge. He says, Well, did you have any idea that it's possible that her husband would have turned into something better than he was? So, well, no, he hadn't done it beforehand. Well, then, because you didn't realize he could do something beyond what you thought, and he did, therefore, it was you, you made a vow with lack of knowledge, lack of understanding that he could do something better than what he was. Therefore, you're not obligated to avoid giving your daughter any funds. You can now give your daughter all the funds she needs or wants for your inheritance. You're, you're now absolved for your vow. Long story, that's how that, I would just give you an example of how uh, Judaism applied the vow and obligations, how to undo them in vows. Right. <laughs> you know, Isaac pointed out, is it like the judge ruling on whether he himself goes to prison or not? <laughs> like, you know, okay, I'm using that as an example, but the point is that the idea was that, I mean, you could argue the whole biasness of it. The idea is that that's how vows and oaths were overruled shortly after Messiah died, with like 100 years or so after he died, where they, as an example of how the vows got overruled. So this is how, it's just an example of, 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 of the idea of, well, you didn't know something, therefore you can now. Can be not be obligated to follow it. Uh, it, it makes sense. I'm not going to go into more de- t- details of vows because that's that's basically all the vow information you really need. Uh, you can go more if you want to. There's a lot of stuff about Torah about vows, examples of them. I'm not going to go through all of them because it's rather lengthy and uh, doesn't gain a whole lot on most things. Oh, oh, the only thing I forgot to mention: vows, overruling vows are not retroactive. Sorry, I should mention, mention that. So let's say, for example, I meant, meant to mention this earlier. Uh, if a woman makes a vow and then her husband finds out 15 years later, he can overrule it that moment he figures out, but the previous 15 years, she's obligated to fulfill. Any violations that she did in that 15 years is on her because he didn't know about it. So it's po- vow, overruling vow is not retroactive. Yes, yes. My wife, my wife points out, isn't the bottom line, you're yes, you're yes, you know as you know, don't make vows, don't swear things. And that's fair. That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it, th- this is an example of vows. As far as how the Torah applies them uh, in 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 the law, uh, let's see a few of the tidbits of information that are valuable to us. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in Torah portion because we have the new moon to do. Uh, little bits of information. You will note that I, I did a map two weeks ago, thereabouts, showing where uh, Ammon, Moab, Edom, Midian, and the children of Israel were hanging out in Jericho. Watch where they were. So. God's command against Midian meant the thousand, sorry, 12,000 men who are compiled to go against Midian had to travel across the, along the, the Dead Sea, going straight down on the east side of the Dead Sea, going straight down. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for the map here. The east side of the Dead Sea, straight down, all the way down past. Those who have the map here, it shows a map. If you're the telephone, I apologize, but there's a map here on your, on your screens showing Israel and the Sinai Peninsula. You will see the the, 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 red, the Dead Sea, the little blue section, the Dead Sea right in the middle of, or on the middle section of Israel, uh, on your right hand side of your map. Uh, the north part, that's where Jericho is at. That's because they're hanging around. They're doing, hanging around there when this order is given from Moab. But you will look, look down the very bottom of your map. They had to cross Moab, cross Edom, cross Jordan, all down to Midian down here in the Gulf of Aqaba. That's where their fighting takes place. So actually going to travel this whole distance I don't know how many miles it is, but it's a lot of miles. All the way down, so they finally reach a Midian to fight Midian way down here at the bottom of your map. And so this, it, it's a bit of a trek as far as how much they're traveling. Uh, it, it's going to take them a, a week or two to travel across that desert area. Well, not, it wasn't a full desert at the time, but semi, mostly, mostly desert-like area to reach Midian's territory to, in order to fight them. 
So it's a bit of a, of a trek to do that. They're crossing Moab and Edom's territory to get to it uh, in order to reach the Midian, Midianite area in order to fight. So these 12,000 plus Phineas travels down, 12,000 plus one person, travels all the way down to Midian to fight. Now in your Torah, it records things a little bit, uh, we'll say the word poetically, as it points out that it's, it's Midian, uh, they fight the Midian, it kills all the males, they burn all the cities, they kill the kings, they capture all the females. Uh, we'll at that, let's take a hundred mile trek as far as how it's a little over hundred miles, 150 miles walk. Um, they're taking a while to get there. Uh, and they kill all these people off. It sounds like they obliterated or like wiped out all of Midian. All this, think about it. If you, if you took, took over the territory, right? You, you conquered it, killed every male, captured every female, burned every city. All the kings are dead. It sounds like you wiped Midian out. There's no way left. They're all dead, right? That's inaccurate. Terribly inaccurate. So, uh, in fact, Midian comes back and keeps, you know, pasturing and conquers Israel at different parts of the time. Even the kings during the during the judges period, during the time of the judges, uh, a few hundred years later, they're coming back and they're fighting, taking over at times. So Midian is not gone, gone. Uh, so, in, 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 even though it implies they took out a large chunk, they really didn't. Oh, sorry, sorry. They probably took out everything, but they didn't. They took the killer chunk instead. So, a lot of percentage of Midian may have been fought and killed. But they weren't wiped out. The, the, the nation was not wiped out in this process. And Midian remains Midian's territory. And many, many years later, it's still, it's still called Land of Midian. They still have people who are living there. And Moses' own father-in-law uh, and his, that family line, uh, they, were, were in, they lived amongst Midianites. So they were, they were Midian people. And as you recall, if you recall, that uh, uh, Moses' brother-in-law, who was traveling with them in the land of, of Israel to Canaan and such, he had told Moses, I'd, I'd rather not go with you. You guys can enjoy your trek up there and, and, and enjoy Canaan, but I dwell among my own people. It means I dwell among Midianites. And Moses, of course, gave him a rather strong encouragement, implying, since you know anything about us, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right where you. You're staying with us because you could turn us over, turn us into something, uh, turn us over to our enemies. Um, implies you're staying with us, but it, it also says that since he, he dwells with his own people, he was going to travel back down and hang around uh, Jabal Allah's, the, the the Mount Sinai territory, and live down there. That's where he was from. That's where he dwelled, in, and that's where Moses dwelled for many years before when he first fled Egypt. Uh, almost like eighty years earlier, uh, when he first fled Egypt, that's when he was dwelling in Midian. So that's, that's the territory he hung around and, and stayed. So that was, they went all the way down to, to conquer and come back in. You will note in their conquering, of course, it destroys lots of towns, but the towns they conquered would have to be ones they actually attacked. So many was not thoroughly wiped out. There must be some sections which they did not attack or left intact somehow. Also, you'll note that Balaam uh, was killed, not in Moab, of course, because the king of Moab, Balak, had said, get out of here. And so he leaves. But Balaam doesn't travel back all the way back up where he came from, uh, from, from Aram. He travels further down south because he's hanging around the Midianites. So in the Midianite territories where he's living, he's spending his time down there. Maybe he enjoys their, uh, well, their extracurricular activities. I'm not sure. But so he hangs, he's hanging out there, and that's where he is killed. So I don't know all the details about him and his personal life, but that's the territory which he chose to dwell for the period of time which he had conquered, or sorry, tried to semi-curse slash bless Israel in the plains of Moab. So he, is, he does, in fact, leave Moab, but he doesn't, he doesn't go back home. He, uh, he heads down to Midian, hangs out there. You're right, Isaac. He may be hanging around to watch how effective his, 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 uh, his guidance was uh, to, to, to conquer or destroy Israel. And it turns out it wasn't all as effective as he hoped in the fact that he died and they didn't. Let's see here. They get a lot of them. That's true. So that's the territory. That, and they had to travel all of that. So all these people that gathered from the southern, southern part of, this, of your map, the, the wives, the children, the, the little kids and such, and the livestock, they went down 100 and about 150 miles or so to conquer it. They had to come back up 150 miles in order to you know, return. So it's, it's quite a bit of a, of a trek these people are, t- people are, are taking. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, make sure you're not having slave drivers who make you crack your whip. All right. So that's the territory they went to. And then they fought back or came back. 
So Moses gets all upset. They came back with all the females, but they, of the women, adult women, female women. I, I'm not sure how old they were. This is old enough to know a male. They could have been a, a grown. They could have been, who knows? I don't know how old they were. Um, it is not within our current modern day sensibilities to kill captives. We do not kill children, males or females. We don't kill uh, uh, women, typically. They're not fighting against us. We don't kill them. That's not in our, our current psyche or current way of life or thought process. And keep in mind, this is not how God thinks. So we may think things one way, but God doesn't think the way we do. His thoughts are different than ours. They're higher than ours. So his, his and Moses point that these individuals who caused you this problem, these women caused you these issues and killed, as a result, 24,000 men. And well, as you pointed out, some of them may actually be the same individuals. It's, it's totally possible. They may have gone home. Uh, so, so these individuals, they're the ones who caused it, and therefore you led them to live. That was wrong. Kill them off too. So, of course, now we obviously kill, they killed them off, uh, as well as the little boys that they were killed as well, which is, we find that hard, heartbreaking and hard to hear and hard to read about. But again, God doesn't think like you and I do. He thinks differently. And death is not permanent. In God's world, it is in ours. So his death is a simple task. In ours, it's not so simple. It's very uh, final in our world, in our view, because we, we live in finite bodies. But in God's world, it's not finite. It's just a transition state. You will not cause more problems. You will be stopped now, so to speak. Uh, well, the tip of information you should know and give, give value to yourself as far as uh, my mother's used a few times. I only used it a couple times myself, but it, it has been useful. Uh, the, the items, the articles which they gathered, uh, they gathered articles obviously of gold and silver and all the medical par- metal, metal, uh, metal parts, metal pieces. Uh, they also gathered uh, things that are not made of metal, you know, cloth and whatever else they may, may have gathered as far as, and obviously living things. Uh, to clean something, to purify something, now, some things can be purified a couple different ways. It can obviously be done in the form of, uh, of, of like, like atonement, for example. We have the atonement for the tabernacle and such. You can purify the tabernacle. We would also obviously purify people. In the case of we have purify the people, because it, it points out here that the, the soldiers who kill people, they have to be cleansed. They bathe themselves on the, the third day and the seventh day. They bathe themselves, make sure they wash all the stuff they have, the clothing, and they also keep it clean. Uh, to purify it. Uh, objects that can pass through fire must pass through fire to be purified and then also washed. Objects that cannot pass through fire must be washed. So there's clothing of sorts. You can't pass clothing through fire. You must wash it. God, it's a harsh way of cleaning house. No, it's not harsh. It's just a way of cleaning things. And it's like once it's cleaned, that's purified. I'll give you a good example of purifying things. At least in my world's a good example. Uh, any of you have ever cooked with cast iron in your life? Most of you probably have. At least once or twice used cast iron. Uh, you notice that cast iron pots or pans, they tend to absorb everything they've got. So everything they've ever cooked in them is always still there. Some particulate, some little mat, piece, matter, whatever, it's always there. So if I receive a used cast iron pot or pan from a household that may be who knows what they ate, whatever they cooked in it, some unclean whatever, who knows. My first task would be clean it, wash it, because I don't know what they ate in it. Pork, shellfish, who knows what they cooked it. My, my father-in-law cooks shellfish in his, his cast iron pots. Um, so that's just how he does it. So what we do, we clean it first. Now, in this instance, the example here, when it comes to metal, you burn it first. Get a hot, hot fire to burn it. Uh, and what hot fire, it's specifically fire as far as not just heat, like, like put on a camp stove. They're, when they're referring to fire, they're referring to wood fires. So they're going to be relatively hot, you know, a thousand degrees thereabouts. Get nice and hot and burn. It's going to pass through it to cook, to cook it clean. Then afterward, of course, you scrub and wash it. That's the process when you cook, clean uh, uh, metal, metallic objects. Then once that's done, then as far as if you cooking or eating from it, that's perfectly fine. Once it's been cooked at that temperature, as I don't, I don't actually specify how long the Torah says, just as cook it. Most things, when you're cleaning for purification, do it until it turns to ash. So I imagine maybe the, maybe the fire turns enough stuff to ash, the, the pot, I'm not sure. Anyway, that's the process of cleaning. So if you inherit something, whatever you may be, or buy some antique thing or whatever, oh, I'm going to eat with this thing, I'm going to wash it. There are ways, but you wash things. You wash things properly before you use them. 
Uh, this is no different than we do to modern day. It's very common. We wash everything before we use it. But at that time in history, it was not commonly done. People just grab things and assume it's clean and keep walking. Keep, because again, today we understand a little bit about germ theory. Uh, but uh, at that point in time, germ theory was relatively not, not, it wasn't not understood. It wasn't as understood as well as we do today. I say that it wasn't not understood because, in fact, they did use soap and lye quite frequently to clean themselves and clean objects. Uh, it was only Europeans that didn't. Uh, Middle Eastern people use soap and lye for a very, very long time before Europeans could realize, oh, hey, look, we can clean our waste. Yeah. Europeans weren't always the smartest. Anyhow, so uh, the use of soap and lye actually, even, even was it, hey, the Hoftor portion, does it cover that? Uh, oh yeah, it does. The hot tour portion covers the fact that the soap, how to use soap and lye. But we, we won't get to all that, I don't think, today. We're out of time. Anyhow, so we clean things when you get them, then you wash them, then you can use them. Uh, that's how you use things for God, as for, for whatever God happens to have in store for you or your household. Uh, let's see here. I won't go through that. Details. Oh, there is an anomaly uh, in your Torah portion. Just, I think it's funny. I think it's odd. Uh, you will note that Caleb, as says, Caleb said, Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, a Kenaz was his younger brother. So it's kind of odd to say Caleb the Kenizzite when it, that, it's like those of you who have younger siblings, who are, if you were, you, had, you grew up and you had younger siblings and you were known as under their name instead of your own name, it's an oddity, but that's just who Caleb was. It points out that Kenaz, his younger brother, uh, is the Kenizzite. That's where the term comes from, uh, from Caleb's younger brother. And Kenaz, uh, of course, is the father of, of, of uh, Othniel, who marries Caleb's daughter. But that's, that's later on. It's in Judges and such. So he's called by his younger brother's title. I'm not sure why. There's probably a good reason for it, but I wasn't there. Well, let's see. I will bypass... Okay, smart point. Maybe his, his misbehavior was so awful his parents call him by his brother's name <laughs> as, a, as a harassment. Who knows? I don't know. That's pretty tough. <laughs> anyway, for whatever reason, he was known by his younger brother's name. Poor guy. Um, he just wasn't as famous enough. But note, his younger brother, however, died in the wilderness for 40 years. So Caleb didn't. He could have been all that bad. <laughs> Anyhow, let's move forward here. We got uh, cities. I don't bypass cities. E- uh, as far as their size is not relevant right now, other than the fact they have a certain sort of influence. Trials. So we have deaths and trials and such occur for murderers. Uh, let's see, do we cover them? Should I cover them? I'll give two minutes to that. Yeah, you kill somebody by accident, guess what? You wait trial. Today we do the same thing. We don't have cities of refuge, we call them jails. Our cities of refuge today are called jails. And the avenger of blood today, we call them police officers. We don't call them Avengers of Blood. So unlike at the past, in the past history, we think, oh, the Avenger of Blood must be a family member or someone designated by the family to do so. If we do that today. We, that they call, we call them police officers and that they're the ones who go out and hunt criminals down and escapees from jail are likely to get shot. Hence, Avenger of Blood can kill them. So it's the same process. Our modern day laws follow suit in some ways of uh, these, these Torah commands. The difference being is that our modern jails, you can't just live there like we do a city, you know, earning an income, you know, survive. Well, maybe you can earn income illegally, but surviving and such in, in, in a city, but it is in jail form. You, can't, you don't get to leave it until you obviously trial took taken place. You're found innocent or guilty, whatever the case may be. And then the, the consequence happens. But there is one symbolic point to not forget. As long as you're in the city of refuge, which is run by Levites, you're in a Levite control of the city. Levites are your protectors. And when this high priest dies, you are set free. Of course, obviously, reference to our Messiah, that we are guilty of death, a death penalty, whatever the case of death penalty may be. Uh, and we are guilty of it. But when the death of our high priest dies, we are set free. That's the process that works. It's pretty simple. Um, I will spend two minutes or three minutes so on the Haftor portion. Question, any question on the Torah itself? So pretty straightforward as far as our travels and things they went to. I'm not going to go through all the details about that. Um, any questions as far as I'm going to jump to the Haftor portion for the next couple minutes and then we'll move to our new moon service.
No questions as far. That's great. Making good time. So new new moon. Oh, there Kate's entered. Enter. Get him in the big room. There. So we covered our Torah portion uh, for uh, numbers. We end the book of numbers thus far. And then, uh, so our half Torah portion is the book of Jeremiah. It is actually, uh, so this is the, the specific half Torah for these Torah portions, not the one for New Moon. New Moon's uh, Isaiah, I think it is. We'll get that later. So uh, Jeremiah, I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's Jeremiah chapter one through chapter three, the half Torah portion. Um, all the way through a verse, let's see, 28. I've hit a few highlights just to put things in perspective for us because this is the nature of our Torah portion. Uh, a few highlights, and you can read this all. It's great information, a lot of stuff here, a lot of things being uh, declared, or some things were references to our Messiah, some things are actual references just playing God saying, I'm mad at you guys. You, you screwed up too, too royally. You need to be corrected for this. Uh, a few things that highlight and notes here, Jeremiah chapter one, two, and three, and then most of three, and then, uh, or, yeah, and then chapter, there's a few, or chapter three, chapter two, I apologize, chapter two, not three, Jeremiah one and two, two through verse 28, and then there's one verse chapter three, and then a couple of verses chapter four. That's our short portion. I'll go through all of it. A few highlights for half to our portion today. Uh, so Jeremiah chapter one. The first few verses, uh, verse, well, it's verse four. Now, mind you, when you're reading this, Jeremiah is living out a perspective of Judah. So their way of life and their existence, as far as how God is seeing Jeremiah, how God speaks to Jeremiah. So this is what J Judah was supposed to be like. I mean, the man was the embodiment of what God wanted Judah to be like, but he, he, they obviously didn't follow. And so Jeremiah winds up living a series, a sequence of events of God, of, of correcting himself not by you know because he's being punished for it that is not by god but by people but god points out don't worry they're not over they will not overtake you completely uh so don't don't stress yourself out too much about it but a few details about this a highlight so jump to jeremiah 1 verse 4 uh this is uh so the introduction won't talk, won't cover so this is god speaking to jeremiah says uh the word of the lord came to me saying before before i formed you in the womb i knew you before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Pause. So keep in mind that Jeremiah is a type, a, a, a symbolic type of Judah or the, the people of the southern tribe of Judah, not, not the individual man, referring to the southern tribe of Judah. So all of Israel is one massive conglomerate of tribes. The southern tribe portion was the, the nation of Judah, which comprised mostly of Judah, some Levites, a few Benjamites, a few others here and there were scattered amongst them. But that's the bottom of, of, of the bottom, bottom section of the territory of the land. So when God speaks, it's before I knew you, I formed you in the womb before you were born. So you were pre-planned. So Judah, Israel, Israel itself, the body of the nation, all the tribes, before, before they were formed, God knew of them. God planned them. Before they were born, God sanctified them to do something, set them aside to do something. Before they were even born or formed, he ordained them as prophets to the rest of the world. It's, 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 it's a scaled perspective. It's a small, narrow view of, 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 of Jeremiah. It's applied to the big view of all of Israel. It's the same principle. And of course, going off, offering, uh, jumping down a little bit further, uh, whatever you, what I think you should do, jump all the way down to uh, verse 16, verse 16 or earlier. Verse 14. Uh, let's see here. Lord said to me, Out of the north, calamity shall break forth, and on the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all families of the kingdoms of the north, says, says Jehovah. They shall come and teach one, each one set his throne at the edge of the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls all around, against the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, worshiped the works of their own hands. Pause. Now, if you recall correctly, when Moses gave them instructions, when you enter land, you will get rid of these things. Otherwise, our Torah point out, there'll be thorns in your side, to be and, a, and a, a, a poke in your eye or a thorn in your side was that was the instructions was going to be happy if you didn't do this. And they were supposed to do that, but of course they chose not to. So it's like I have a job responsibility. I choose to neglect my job responsibility, and now I have consequences that come with that as a result. 
Here are the consequences. God, of course, is going to bring the correction against them. As we concluded our Torah portion today, it said it very clearly that if you don't do this, everything I planned on the Canaanites, I'm going to put upon you instead. Or as well, I should say, you're going to get, you're going to get the same correction, the same punishment, the same the same damaging condemnation that you were supposed to, to, to inflict upon them instead of inflict upon you because you chose to reject what you were instructed to do. Uh, let's see, go to you on, uh, which the work of your own hands. Uh, let's see, we will go down, all the way down to the second chapter, verse, uh, chapter, chapter two. This is God speaking here. It says, chapter two, verse two, uh, go and cry the hearing of Jerusalem. Say, this is the Lord. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness to Jehovah, the first fruits of his increase. All that devoured him will offend. Disaster will upon them, says Jehovah. Hear the word of Jehovah of house of Jacob. All of them is the house of Israel. Thus says Jehovah, what injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed idols and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, where is the God, where is, the, is Jehovah, where is the Lord? And who, who brought us out of the land of Egypt? Who led us to the wilderness, to the land of deserts and pits, to the land of drought and the shadow of death, to a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit, its goodness. But when you entered it, you defiled my land and made my heritage an ab- 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 abomination. The priests did not say, where is Jehovah? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and watched the things that, are, that did not that do not profit them. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says Jehovah, against your children's children. I'll bring charges for pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see. Send to Kedar and consider diligently. See if there has ever been such a thing as this. Has a nation ever changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what, for what does not profit them. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says Jehovah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns that were broken, that can't hold water. Is Israel a servant? Is he some home-born slave? But why is he plundered? The young lions roar at him and growl, and they make the, his land waste. His cities are burned without habita- inhabitants. All people of Noph and uh, Tapanes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this upon yourself, and that you have forsaken Yahweh your God when he led you out, of the way, out in the way? And now, why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of, of, of Sihor? Or why to the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Your own wickedness will correct you. Your backslidings will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and a bitter thing that you have forsaken Jehovah your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says Jehovah, Lord of hosts. Pause there for a minute. So in our modern day world, uh, we will note that there's obvious citations here given to us. Not saying that we're Israel, I'm just saying the modern day, you know, World governments, our government that we live by. It says, uh, go, oh, back to verse eight. It points us the priests did not say, Where is Jehovah? So when, when your nation or your household, your county, your home, whatever, comes with a, a, a calamity, a great distress, a great problem, the first things out of our mouths, those who follow God, is, Okay, God, where are you? And why am I not with you? There's something, there's a disconnect that I need to correct, figure out what it is. I mean, not what, it may not be obvious. It might be obvious, it might be un, not obvious. I may need assistance to understand, okay, I'm missing something. Something fell apart. This disaster came upon my household or my nation or my county or my state. There's a reason for it. What is in disconnect between myself and God? Because all these corrections are, from the military ones, are obviously corrections from, from, from a very uh, difficult one to, to endure for military correction. But also we have out of, out of day, you know, drought and such we're dealing with, such things that, 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 that happen. Uh, where is the distinction between us and God? And go find it out. That's what a priest's job is. They say, okay, where is, the, where is the disconnect and how do I fix or deal with this disconnect between where I'm at, where God is, because we're not the same place. We're far away from each other. To get closer is good, but we've moved further away. Hence, now we have corrections. We have backsliding has, has come across us. But also, in verse 8, it points out that those who had a law did not know me. Now, 
in our modern day world, those in the law, we call them judges. So judges are supposed to handle the law. That's the job of a, of a judge to handle the law. But since they did not know me, so the judges are not the place. Normally, you would say, "Okay, priests, uh, I'm not where God is. What? Where? Why am I not?" You go to judges with the law. Okay, what does the law state on how I get closer to God? How do I fix this problem? But the judges don't know the law. Don't know God at least. They don't know they, they're supposed to know the law, but they don't know God. They don't know how to get closer to God. So the priest isn't researching why we're, we're having problems. And the judges are not explaining this is how you fix the problem. This is how you address the corrections. This is how you improve and make you make your, your, your path correct. Also, verse eight, there's treasure against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal. So your leadership itself, if your nation, state, or any household, whatever the case may be, are, are, are also transgressing against God. They themselves are not, not, not pursuing. And of course, the prophets, those who are supposed to understanding, have an understanding of God, your, your teachers, uh, as far as what, what, what God wants of you, are also t- speaking of, of, of prophets. Now, I use the word prophets on purpose. Uh, so the, it's a play on word, the prophet, the PH, the prophet, the F, is that uh, modern day prophets, of course, are prophets of wealth, how to get wealth and prosperity, which is the, the God of America and some of the nations too, but it's dominantly the God of America as wealth and prosperity. And that's how our prophets work. We call them investors. But anyway, so we, the, our prophets can't fix us. Our rulers can't fix us. Our priests can't fix us. Our judges can't fix us because none of them are pursuing God. None of them are actually seeing and trying to find it out. Hence, we've swapped out our God with a God that we do see, which is wealth and prosperity. And God pointed out in verse 11, when does a nation ever change its God? Wealth and prosperity is not a God, but yet we treat it as one. We've swapped out our God, our glory, with one that isn't actually a God. And he, of course, compares himself with living water versus cistern. So our wealth prosperity, our cistern, has cracks in it. So we have lots and lots of wealth, lots and lots of prosperity. We're great and wonderful. Everybody has a party in roaring 20s, whatever, the old saying from a long time ago, 100 years ago. Uh, uh, great, wonderful, it's all great. We're all happy, we're thrilled. But our cistern holds no water. Have you ever noticed what happens with wealth and prosperity? Because happens to wealth, you spend it. And it goes, bye. Inflation sucks it away. And it goes, bye. So our cistern that's holding our wealth has cracks in it. And our wealth leaks. <laughs> our wealth leaks out. It sits sucked away. Sucked away, sucked away. To eventually look at, how's it, how come our sister is empty? Well, what happened? Because you weren't refilling it with living water. So God, of course, uses himself as that example. So while we have our sister that's being sucked dry, as just like our lakes are being sucked dry, <laughs> lack of water, uh, we're not being refilled. We trusted in our lakes instead of our God. It's funny, you, you trust your lakes of having lots of good reservoirs, which only work if you get rain. <laughs> and who controls the rain? <laughs> so it's like our lakes are no different than our cisterns. I'm using that analogy on purpose. Our cisterns today, and that we depend upon them to save us from droughts. And reality is, they can't save you if it doesn't fill up with rain. The cistern, the lake, gets sucked dry. It's got leaks in it. We call them rivers and streams, and people sucking water out as they drink and whatever else they got to do. It goes away, and it goes away because we've, we've abandoned our God, and so they don't get refilled. So our sisters have a leak, like Lake Sonoma is going dry, Lake Mendocino going dry, Lake Pillsbury is dry, uh, Lake Oroville, I think, is like half dry. What, what is that? Lake Mead is mostly empty. A lot of these, they're all empty. We trusted in them, the fact that they're no different than a system with cracks in it. It doesn't work unless it gets replenished with rain. Well, what's rain? Rain's from our living God. So we abandoned our God, and now our water's drying up. Hmm. Big shock there. But is anybody asking, where's God? No, they're asking, how can we build a bigger, a bigger dam? We need a bigger reservoir. Build a bigger one. We need more of it. We need a bigger cistern. Uh, Pamela, your hand is up. Unmute yourself so we can hear you. Go ahead, Pamela. I used to volunteer at Lake Oregon Visitors Center, and they had a video probably put out when the uh, Oregon water sign was being made. And they were pumping water into the ground, thinking it was going to store it. But when they went to use it, it's gone. So because they had no idea how big um, the space under the ground was or what it was out to. Yeah, oops. So they pumped water into underground cistern and it, it's now it's empty. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, 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 it was, it was, it was, she was a little quiet, not sure why, but it, might, it was quiet from my end at least. Uh, it was, they, they took, she, said, she said that they put water into an underground storage space 
and apparently they didn't realize where it drains to, and now it's 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 gone. Oops. <laughs> Sister with a crack in it. There, there you go. That's what it was. Avoid evaporation. So instead it leaks in the ground. And now it's all gone. Anyhow, so I won't go through all the details. It does point out in the tail end of chapter two, I'm gonna move off to our new moon in like one minute. Uh it points out in verse 22, verse 22, it says, you wash yourself with lion's soap, yet you're not clean. So you can keep yourself and you can keep make it look, look better. Well, I'll wash better. I'll, I'll make the outside of me look, look more holy, look more godlike. I'm not. I, I didn't actually make any changes. I didn't make any improvements. I didn't make myself look better, but in fact, I'm not better. And it, God, God, of course, ends in verse 28. says, all right, you have these problems. You worshiped your gods. Let them save you. Where are they? Let them go call out to them. Go in, go good luck. Let's see how we call to our God of wealth, prosperity, you know, new, new, new reservoirs being built. Uh, call out them and let them save you. We'll, and and, and you know, I'm not going to listen anymore. We'll see what happens. So it's kind of a, you made your bed, you're going to lie in it. So in our nation, our states, our, 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 we have injustices and problems, but instead of seeking our God, we seek our own ways which was what God warned the Israelites as they entered, entered the land. Uh, be aware that you don't deviate. Don't, don't separate yourself because that separation is going to cause you serious problems. And that's what it did. They did not dispose the gods they were supposed to dispose of. They did not pursue their God. And now their inheritance is of no value to them because they get kicked out as they're all concerned about Zlophad's daughters. Hey, why don't we lose our inheritance? It's worthless to you if you all lose it because you all get kicked out. In modern day, of course, there isn't any inheritance anymore. They all been they were all kicked out. So we end our tour portion slash uh, uh, our, our half tour portion now because we have there's the last twenty minutes or so for a new moon. Uh, any questions or comments for our tour portion though before we conclude that? I'll conclude with a prayer, of course. All right, then we'll conclude our Torah portion with a prayer, and then we'll move. We'll slip into our new moon service the next uh, twenty minutes till three o'clock. Almighty God, thank you, Father, for teaching us and instructing us our way of life and how to pursue you and your truth, your direction. May you continue to bless us, Father, and guide us along our way. They will seek and find out where you are and compare us where we're at, where you are at, and how to walk toward you. May we pursue you, Father, and may the inheritance of your people, the blessing of life of wisdom will be upon us, Father, that we will be wise and living people. We will pursue you as living water and not our own waters, not our own desires, not our own intent. For your intent is good and our intent is just ours. May, you, may we continue to pursue you, Father, wherever we live and wherever we go. We pray you ask your blessing on, on, on each of us, Father, as we educate and teach our children and be examples to the world around us. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.